0: Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. We're in the middle of just this incredible series called The Comeback, and I want to encourage you, Pastor Scott, Like I, I feel like he preached the sermon of his life on Tuesday night, so if you get a chance, get on our YouTube channel and watch his message on uh, Tuesday night about the comeback, it was awesome, and uh, so I just want to encourage you, man. Uh, yeah, this whole this whole series is for those that feel like you know you're kind of in a place where there's nowhere to go but up. You ever been there? And uh, and and hopefully this is an encouragement to you. What I love about the Bible is it's so real, it's so vulnerable, and it, it the Bible is is really a, a book of comebacks. And the greatest comeback of all is Jesus being in the tomb for three days and rising from the dead, and ascending to the right hand of the Father, that's the greatest comeback of all time. And so the Bible is full of comebacks of people that have failed. The Bible is brutally honest about people's failures, which makes me feel totally comfortable. And, and, and that there's through God, through Jesus, there's a comeback waiting for you. I found a kind of a cute story I wanted to just open up with today. It was about a, a Chinese doctor that moved here, from China, couldn't get work in any of our hospitals, so he decided to set up his own little uh, private practice, his own little doctor's office, and he put a sign up in the window that said, get treatment for $20, and if you're not cured, you get back $100. And so uh, a lawyer uh, it's always the lawyers, um, a lawyer uh, saw that sign and said, man, this is going to be a, a fast $100 for me to earn here. I'm, I'm going I'm to get 100 bucks out of this deal. So he goes and he visits the, the doctor and he says, doctor, he says, I have seem to have lost my sense of taste. And so the doctor uh, said, okay. And he turned to the nurse and he said, nurse, bring me medicine from box number 22 and put three drops in the patient's mouth. And as soon as she did that, he said, oh, this is kerosene. Awful. And the doctor said, congratulations, you got your sense of taste back. Now give me 20 bucks. <laughs> so now the lawyers ticked and he's like, OK, I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that hundred dollars if it kills me. So he goes back a second time. He's thought this through. You know, he's he's just a just a first class attorney. He's going to he's going he's gonna to beat this guy at his own game. Goes back a second time and he says, doctor, Seems like I've lost my memory. I can't remember anything. And so the doctor said, okay, nurse, I want you to go to box number 22 and bring me that medicine and put three drops on his tongue. And the lawyer said, wait a minute, you can't do that. That was kerosene that was in that box. He said, congratulations, you got your memory back. Give me another 20 bucks. So now the lawyer is beside himself and he's like, man, this is crazy. This guy's guy's getting me. It's cost me 40 bucks already. So he comes back in third time. He was ready. And he says, doctor, he said, my eyesight has become very weak. I can't see at all. And the doctor said, well, I don't have any medicine for that. So take this $100. And he was all excited. And he looked down. And he said, wait a minute. This is a $20 bill. It's not $100. And he said, congratulations. Your eyesight's restored. Give me that $20. And he walked away with it. This has nothing to do with my message. This made me feel good when I read it. So that's all right. That's all right. How many remember the movie Rocky? Yeah. All these girls. Yeah. Rocky. What a great movie. Do you know that that movie was inspired by a true story, a, a real boxer? I didn't know that. And it was a boxer by the name of Chuck Wepner that he was known as the Bayonne Bleeder because he would bleed so much in the ring. And he, he was a good boxer, but he wasn't a great boxer. He was just kind of mediocre. But through negotiations, he got the fight of his lifetime. He got to, to fight against Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali had just came back. It was the first fight since he fought in Manila. Some of you that are boxing fans, the Rumble in the Jungle, he was back. And Chuck Weppner was the, was the next fight. It was going to be great. And, of course, you know they promoted it big time. And Wepner... Um, actually was the underdog 20 to 1 Uh, and everyone bragged like like this guy's not going to last a round with Ali and back in those days Muhammad Ali was was actually amazing at what he did and so Muhammad Ali uh you know was out there being very bold and he bragged he said I'm getting a million and a half dollars to fight this punk it's fool's gold it's going to be a cinch and of course he was just hamming it up and and uh he predicted that he would knock out Weppner within the first three rounds. But that's not the way it turned out. Weppner prepared harder for that fight than any other that he'd ever fought before and as a result of that preparation he lasted 15 rounds with Muhammad Ali and he knocked Muhammad Ali down with a sucker punch at one point which is something that very few other boxers ever did was knock uh, Ali down. Ali en- ended up coming back and winning after 15 rounds, and uh, surprised everyone. It blew everyone's mind. And after the interview, uh, after the fight, Ali said this. He said, there's not another human being in the world that can go 15 rounds like that. And you might remember the story Rocky. He didn't win the first fight either, but he hung in there and beat the daylights out of the guy. So uh, talk about a comeback. Talk about a guy who was past his prime and, you know, everyone thought there's no way he would ever do it. He, he made world headlines by being in that ring for 15 rounds with Muhammad Ali. What a great comeback story. It's, it's, it's the kind of story, it's, it's, it's legendary. And, you know, some, some guy from Bayonne, New Jersey that's outmatched and past his prime gets in there on a world stage and they make a movie about him called Rocky. Well, do you know that we have our own Rocky in the Bible? We have a guy in the Bible that Jesus named The Rock. And he is a guy named Peter that has a comeback story so much better than the Chuck Wepner story. A great comeback story. One of the greatest comeback stories apart from Christ that there is in the Bible. Peter is a guy that um, when you read about his life, he was... If you could describe Peter, it would be like this. Ready, fire, aim. That was Peter. Because he would would say things that come out of his mouth, and he'd he'd offend people. He would always say the wrong thing. But there was something about him that Jesus loved, like his his passion, his heart. He was rough around the edges. And so most of us know that Peter failed miserably, and we're going to touch on that in just a minute. But I want to show you uh, the Peter... After his comeback, we're going we're to kind of switch it up a little bit. I want to start after his comeback, and then I want to go back and find out what went wrong in his life and what that comeback looked like. So now we see Jesus has been, has been uh, ascended to heaven, um, and Peter and John are called in before the Sanhedrin, which was a very powerful ruling body at the time, and now they have to give an account for healing a man. And the, the, the religious leaders didn't like it. So this, that's where we're going to pick it up. It says, the teaching and preaching of Peter and John angered the priests, the captain of the temple police and representatives of the Jewish sects of the Sadducees. They were furious that the people were being taught that in Jesus there is a resurrection from the dead. So while Peter and John were still speaking, the Jewish authorities came to the temple courts to oppose them. They had them arrested, and since it was already evening, they kept them in custody until the next day. And yet there were many in the crowd who believed the message, bringing the total number of men who believed to nearly 5,000. The next day, many Jewish leaders, religious scholars, and elders of the people convened a meeting in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there with Caiaphas. You might remember Caiaphas from the crucifixion. John, Alexander... And others who were members of the high priest family. They made Peter and John stand in front of the council as they questioned them, saying, Tell us, by what power and authority have you done these things? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, answered, This is so unlike Peter when you read about him. He says, Respected elders and leaders of the people, listen, Are we being put on trial today for doing an act of kindness by healing a frail, crippled man? Notice the respect that he shows them. Well, then, you and everyone else in Israel should know that it is by the power of the name of Jesus that the crippled man stands here today completely healed. You crucified Jesus of Nazareth, but God raised him from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that you, the builders, have rejected, and now he's become the cornerstone. And there is no one else who has the power to save us for there is only one name to whom God has given authority by which we must experience salvation, and that name is Jesus. The council members were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who had never had any religious training. Then they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. Isn't that a great verse? They understood the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. Standing there with them was the healed man, and there was nothing further they could say. So they ordered them to leave the room while they discussed the matter among themselves. And they said, what should we do with these men? Everyone in Jerusalem can clearly see that they've performed a miracle with signs and wonders. We can't deny that. But to keep this propaganda from spreading any further among the people, let's threaten them severely and warn them to never speak to anyone in this name again. So they had, brought, they had brought them back in before the council, and they commanded them to never teach the people or speak again using the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, you can judge for yourselves. Is it better to listen to you or to God? It's, it's possible for us to stop speaking about all the things that we've seen and heard. We can't. It's, it's impossible. We can't not speak about them. Since the members of this council shouldn't, uh, couldn't. Boy, if I could read it, it'd be great. Hold on a second. Woo! All right. My brain is like my, my brain's two steps in front of my mouth, which is normally the other way around. Since the members of the council couldn't come up with a crime that they could punish them for, they threatened them once more and let them go. And all the people, praise God, thrilled over the miraculous healing of the crippled man. So in the past, Peter then would have went back probably with a band of rebels and went back in and whooped all the Sanhedrin's, probably got into a big fight. He would have, he would have taken that threat uh, from them as a challenge. And, you know, I know that because when, when they came to arrest Jesus, what did Peter do? He got out his sword and he lopped off the guy's ear. He was ready to fight a physical battle. But there was something different in Peter. There was a a change. There was something that was refined that wasn't there before. And it says that instead of fighting them, he went and gathered with other believers to pray, which is so unlike Peter. And it says in verse 29, so now, Lord, listen to their threats to harm us, empower us. As your servants to speak the word of God freely and courageously stretch out your hand of power through us to heal and to move in signs and wonders by the name of your holy son Jesus. And at that moment the earth shook beneath them causing the building they were in to tremble. Each one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit and they proclaimed the word of God with unrestrained boldness. You look at Peter here and you're like man this guy's a rock star. This guy's something. I mean, he's, he's unbelievable. And yet, just two months earlier, he was a failure. He, he was, he was um, a beaten man, a defeated man, a coward, alone, just two months earlier. And so I want to look at what happened in Peter's life that brought him to this place. There was a comeback somewhere there, and we're going to look at that. So if you're taking notes today, I want you to, first of all, I want you to write down that his self-confidence or his um, um, l- almost overconfidence in his self led to his failure. You know, he's like most guys. We are wired in such a way to where if there's something that happens, we're going to try to fix it ourselves, aren't we? We're going to try to muscle through it. We're going to try to, to and, and that was the way Peter used to operate all the time. And Jesus was constantly coming up against him saying, listen, man, there's a different way. There's, you need to handle this differently. He would always get in trouble. But there was something that Peter started to walk through that was beyond his power. And do you know that, that, that Peter actually was attacked spiritually? In fact, Jesus pulled him aside and said, Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Satan has demanded to come and sift you like wheat and test your faith. I think that's interesting because Jesus called him the rock. And yet Satan is saying, I want to sift him as wheat. Well, if you sift anything, you are pulverizing it into powder so you can sift it, right? Right? So I believe that what Satan was saying was, oh, he's your rock. He's the rock that the church is going to be. I'm going to sift him. I'm going to pulverize him into powder. And Peter tried to fight this battle in his own strength and flesh and failed miserably, just like you and I will fail every time if we try to do this in our flesh. Peter. Denied Christ three times after Jesus was arrested. He was standing by a fire and, 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 and it was a small group of people. And, and a teenage girl said, hey, I know you. Aren't you one of his disciples? And he denied Christ three times. In fact, the third time he got so mad he cursed. He was so angry and he ran away from her. When Jesus needed him the most, he, he, he denied that he even knew him. And then we we read that after the crucifixion, Peter and the disciples are so afraid of being arrested that they lock themselves in a room. They won't even leave the room. They're locked in that room, fearful, and Jesus has to kind of walk through the wall to come in and see them because the door's locked. That's not the same Peter we just read about. This coward, this guy that was just so wrecked. But there was something going on behind the scenes and there was a a spiritual struggle going on with the demonic forces that were coming against this ordinary man named Peter. And we're reminded in scripture that we are not to fight battles spiritually in our own strength. They're they're not physical battles that we can demolish these things by arguments and and fighting flesh and blood. In fact, Ephesians tells us that we are not fighting against human beings. You know, that neighbor or that person that just keeps coming. This this will put it in perspective. You are not fighting against human beings, but against the wicked spiritual forces in the heavenly world, the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this dark age. Now, that sounds like a sci-fi movie. But it's reality. Do you know that there's more going on in what you can't see than what you can see? There's a whole spirit realm going on in this room at this very moment. We, we, we can perceive, we touch, we smell, we hear, we see. We, there, there, we've got five senses. But there's a whole other realm going on in this room right now in the heavenlies. There's battles going on. There, there are there are evil forces that are trying to keep people from hearing the gospel. And there's God's angelic realm that's trying to make way so that you can hear the gospel. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. That's why prayer is so essential. Some of you are like, I am totally wigged out right now. It's the truth. It's the truth. You know why I know it's the truth? Because the moment we step into the ring with Jesus, what I mean by that is when we say Jesus Help me. I need you. I want to give my life to you. I want to step down off the throne of my heart, and I want to invite you to come onto the throne of my heart. I'm going to completely surrender to you. Have you ever noticed that the moment you do that, you start getting your butt kicked from places you never expected? When you say, I'm going to get rid of that habit. That habit's killing me. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to you know, do this or that anymore. It, man, it seems like the moment you do that, you start seeing things and experiencing things that you just, you're like, where did that come from? Because there's a, an assignment out after you the moment you step into the ring with Jesus. When you, when you say, man, I want to get knitted in with a, with a church community so that I can, we can bear one another's burdens and I can serve people and I can help people, you're going to get attacked in that very area. Why is that? Because there's a spiritual assignment on you. Now, don't be freaked out and scared. Because the Bible tells us that he that is within you, which is Jesus is greater than he that is in the world, which is Satan. And that the Bible says that no weapon formed against you will ever prosper. So the fight is not yours. It's Jesus's. That's why we need him. Peter was trying to do this in his own strength. He never once said, Jesus, I'm getting my butt whooped. Help me. He never did that. He was going to fight this in his own strength and he, and he lost Satan's going to try whatever he can do to bring you down morally and spiritually, sometimes even physically, to hurt you so that you are completely derailed from your God given plans. But Peter's vulnerability, his overconfidence in himself, was the very weapon that the enemy used against him. What is that thing? That you and I struggle with. What is that area of vulnerability that you and I have? It might be different for all of us, but what is that one area you're like, yeah, God needs to help me in that area of my life? That 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 area, Satan will just keep pounding that. It's like in a boxing match when they when when the opponent sees that you have a bloodied eye or a bloody, they're gonna where do you think they're gonna start? Keep punching. They're gonna keep punching that area because that's your vulnerability, that's your Achilles heel, and that's exactly Satan knew that peter was all about himself and his pride and he was he thought he thought of himself much higher than what he actually was and satan was going to use that and capitalize on that but now we see him standing before the sanhedrin as a humble man a man with courage but a man that's showing honor and respect to people that didn't earn it and they ask him by what power or what name do you do this you know what they were really saying They were really saying, just who do you think you are? How dare you do this without our permission? That's really what they were saying. I'm sure that the tone was a a little sharp. I'm I'm sure that they were trying to get under Peter's skin. And the old Peter would have gotten angry and gotten into an argument with these guys because they loved arguments. They loved debating over the fine little details of the law. Peter didn't argue. He honored them. He's confident. He's gentle. He's gentle. Respectful, but he exalts Jesus and he baffles the members of the Sanhedrin because of his attitude and his behavior. Let me just say this when you're led by the Spirit of God, you'll have courage and conviction, but when you are kind and gentle, you'll astonish people, you'll blow them away. And the opposite is true. You can, you can. You can say all you want that you're this or that. I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. But if your attitude stinks and your behavior is bad, you've just negated any message that you could speak. That's how that's one of the giveaways that you know that you're not listening to Jesus is when you got a bad attitude and you're argumentative to people. That's not the spirit of Jesus, it's a spirit of self, it's the flesh. I know there's nobody here that ever has struggled with that, so I'm going to move on. Yeah. Except the guy that cut me off that had the harbor magnet on his car. I want to talk to you. some. I don't know who you are, but I just thought I would, what the Bible says, lay hands suddenly on you. I was just thinking, man. <laughs> just kidding. I'm joking. No emails, please. I don't need any more emails. I get too many of them. It's just terrible. So let's, let's look at the comeback. When did the comeback take place? And so that brings me to my second point. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write down. Jesus transforms the ordinary into the sacred. So this is the cool part. So Peter, I don't know how much time has went by since Jesus ascended. Maybe a month or two. And Peter, I mean, he feels like a failure. He let his best friend down. He's probably feeling bad in front of the other disciples. I mean, he, he's not, not in a good place. He brought it on himself, though. So what's he say? He says, you know what? I'm going to go back. I'm going to fish because that's all I know to do. I'm going to go fishing. And so we're going to pick it up and find out how that worked for him. So we're going to look in John chapter 21. It says, later, Jesus appeared once again to a group of his disciples by Lake Galilee. It happened one day while Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, Jacob, John, and two other disciples were all together. And Peter told them, I'm going fishing. And they all replied, we'll go with you. So they went out and fished through the night and caught nothing. Then at dawn, Jesus was standing there on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was him. And he called out to them saying, hey guys, did you catch any fish? And they replied, not a thing. And this next part could be extremely annoying Jesus shouted to them, throw your net over the starboard side and you'll catch some fish. You ever have the neighbor or the guy that's the know-it-all when you're out working on something and they, they tell you what you're doing wrong and how you need to do it right? Don't you just want to just love them and hug them? And just... <laughs> so I mean, these guys have been fishing all night long and, and this guy on the shore is going, hey, throw it over on the, on the right side of the boat, on the starboard side. I'm surprised Peter didn't say, What's wrong with you, man? This is what we do. We're professionals at this. But they listened to him. And it says that, and so they did as he said, and they caught so many fish, they couldn't even pull in the net. And then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Peter heard him say that, he quickly wrapped his outer garment around him. And because he was athletic, he dove right into the lake to go to Jesus. And the other disciples then brought the boat to shore, dragging their catch of fish. They weren't far from land, only about 100 meters. And when they got to the shore, they noticed a charcoal fire with some roasted fish and bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Peter waded into the water and helped pull the net to shore. It was full of many large fish. Exactly 153. You ever wonder why the exact number is written in the Bible? 153? I got nothing. I don't know. It just makes no sense. But it's there. I, I don't know. But even with so many fish, The net was not torn. See, if I was a real theologian, I would know the answer to that, but I got nothing. Come, let's have some breakfast, Jesus said to them. And not one of the disciples needed to ask who it was, because every one of them knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus came close to them and served them bread and fish. See, fishing was what they were trained to do. But now Jesus transforms the ordinary fishing and raises it to the level of the sacred. Where Jesus is concerned, there's no difference between the secular and the sacred. You might say, "Man, I'm an auto mechanic. How can that be sacred? How can that be spiritual? But you're dealing with people, people that need their cars fixed, people that are desperate. You, everything you do, whether you're a builder, whether you're a plumber, whether you're a, a, a stockbroker, you, you, listen. When, when Jesus is involved in the equation, it is no longer secular, it's sacred. You're on mission to bring the kingdom of God into an environment that most of the time is a godless environment. People should know just being around you that you've been with Jesus because there's something different about you. We had a thing... On Friday morning, there was a police pursuit, and um, she picked our parking lot, <laughs> and there was about 15 police cars back here, and they, she rammed a police car, and, and then another police car had to do a pit maneuver, and they pushed her right up right up against the building, and they had to break the window and get her out. It was a big, big deal. And so crime scene was here. People were calling and said, what happened in the church? Did someone get murdered? And there was like crime scene tape and there was a crime scene unit here. But I thought of that like, okay, this is free advertising. I turned all the lights on in here. And, and, and I'm like, eh, you know. And so, the, so crime scene took about three to four hours to, to, to develop the scene. And so I, I, I've been dying to tell you this. This was so cool. So we had everything on video. So they used our video, the detective was in the office reviewing the video, and I'll charge you a dollar if you want to see the video, it's great, if you want to see it, we'll earn some money for missions. Um, So I come in here, and there's like 12 cops, they're sitting here on the steps, they're sitting in the front row, and they're like, dude, this is awesome in here, we love the vibe in here, they had no idea that this little warehouse looked like this, and they stayed here, they were here for like six hours on Friday. We're giving them water and talking to them. You know what I loved about that was this is just a a warehouse. We got the ugliest building in town on the outside, but it's beautiful on the inside. But it, it transformed a secular space into the sacred because Jesus was here, and they sensed it. And one of them's like, what's it look like with all the lights on? So I said, you know what? I got a conference. I showed them a video of our conference last year. Their minds were blown. You could just see it. So we got an opportunity to, to, it doesn't matter what you're doing, it becomes sacred when Jesus is involved. Once Jesus enters the picture, everything changes. And the other thing that I just love about this story is that once Jesus calls you, you can never go back to what you were before. Peter tried. Didn't work out too well. So why would Jesus allow these men to fish all night long? And not catch anything and get them to a level of frustration and exhaustion where they, they're like, man, this, this has been a horrible night. Why, did he, why didn't he do it before? Why didn't he do it at the beginning of the night to save them heartache? Because they needed to fail. They needed to fail. And that brings me to my last thought today is that failure was the, was the necessary prerequisite to eventual success. There are times that God will allow you to fail in something that you're trying to get done yourself to show you that it's only with him and his power that you can succeed. When they heard his voice and they obeyed him, they, they, they caught the haul of a lifetime. And there's a principle in that. He'll let us fall on our own, but that sometimes when we fall on our own, he'll bring us success at the very point that we failed before just to show us that it's him. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. As I close, our band's going to come out. We're almost done. And I want to just, just uh, zero in here with laser focus about where the real comeback really happened. Jesus served them breakfast. Can you imagine how awkward that was for, for uh, Peter and Jesus being there? I, I, I'll bet you Peter didn't even make eye contact with Jesus, the first part of the breakfast. You know, well, thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. He was so ashamed. I, mean, I guarantee you Peter was just so embarrassed. But then Jesus pulls out the big guns. The disciples are there. And it says here that after they had breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me more than these? All right, why did he say more than these? Because at the Last Supper, Peter stood up and said, Jesus, I will never deny you. I'll never turn my back on you. These other guys, they probably will, but I will never do it. And Jesus said, dude, you're going to deny me three times, like in the next 20 minutes. So Jesus, which I love, I love this about him, he confronts it. He hits it head on right out of the gate. So Peter... Does your heart burn within you for love for me more than these? Peter answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Jesus said, Take care of my lambs. And Jesus repeated his question a second time. He said, Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me? Peter answered, Yes, my Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. And he said, Then take care of my sheep. But then he asked him a third time. He says, Peter, son of John, do you have great affection for me? And Peter was saddened by being asked the third time. He said, my Lord, you know everything. You know that I burn with love for you. And Jesus replied, then feed my lambs. Why did Jesus ask him three times the same question? Because I believe Jesus denied him three times. He said, I don't know the man. Man, it was so boastful. And proud and so sure of himself in the Last Supper, now is completely humbled. He's completely emptied of himself. He doesn't trust his heart anymore. And he said uh, the first question was a reminder of that ridiculous statement that he made comparing himself to the other disciples. But it's funny now when Jesus asked him, he doesn't compare himself with anyone, does he? He learned that lesson. And why did Jesus call him out publicly? Because Peter denied him publicly. As painful as it was for Peter to walk through, that it was necessary. Jesus was bringing him back to the point of his failure so that he could move forward. And Peter needed to see the enormity of his sin. And he needed to hear Jesus ask him these deep questions that are uncomfortable for him. And once he grasped the enormity of it, then he could grasp the magnitude of Jesus' forgiveness. And it also, this reminds me, Jesus said it, it should be the the foundation for ministry. The the foundation for ministry is is that first we love Jesus, and secondly we serve people. It, it, It always starts with love and then service, not the other way around. And then Jesus asked him that third time, and Peter's so grieved. And it was at that moment when Peter was so grieved that Jesus had asked him three times, and he said, Lord... You know everything. That was a declaration that all of his self-confidence was gone. That all of his overconfidence in himself was gone. He knew that he just needed to fully trust Jesus with everything. He said, you know everything. You know my heart burns for you. It's a huge step in Peter's growth. Two months later, he's standing up before the ruling body of Jerusalem and proclaiming that there is no other name under heaven by which man could be saved. And by the way, when he proclaimed that, you and I today, we would not be here in this room today talking about Jesus had Peter not stood up and said that. There's something about coming to a place where you say, My trust is in Jesus alone. I'm not going to trust in my own abilities or my own talents or my own strength any longer. I'm not going to trust in my success. I'm not going to trust in in man-made things any longer. I'm going to trust in Jesus alone. Could we stand? Maybe you're here today and you've been trusting in yourself. You've, You've been way too overconfident in your ability. You think that things are just going to last forever the way they are. I just want to tell you today that he wants you to get to a place where you just surrender and you say, God, I'm going to trust in you alone. I'm going to place my heart in your hands. I'm going to step down off the throne of my heart and I'm going to ask you, Lord, to step onto the throne of my heart. And I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. How many here today you'd say, Pastor, I want to declare today that I want to put my trust in Jesus alone in all areas of my life? Is there anyone today you'd just say, Pastor, that's me, man. I'm going to make that declaration? I'm going to, his hands going up, man. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. That's where it begins. And you look at a life like Peter, where God took him, who knows but God where your life's going to go by being surrendered and trusting in Jesus. God's going to take you places and, and take you to experiences that you could never imagine. He's got a marvelous plan for your life. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you today, God, that we have Peter to look at and we we get to see his failures, but we get to see his redemption. We get to see the comeback. And Lord, most of all, we get to see your great love for him, how you were so gracious that you even cooked breakfast for these guys and served them because you love them. And Lord, we give you permission to ask us the hard questions. To ask us questions that that probe our hearts to see, do we really trust you with all areas of our life? And so today, God, we we want you to know, Lord, that we're going to put our faith and our trust in you fully. We're going to surrender our rights. We're going to surrender our wills. And we're going to place our faith and hope in you. You're a mighty God. You're an awesome God. And there is no other name under heaven by which... We are saved in Jesus' name. Amen.